0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of our podcast that has yet to be named. In this episode, Tim and I will look at, first, some very basic, well-known things, actionable things that you can do to improve your life quickly, and then we'll move into a conversation on some little more esoteric things that he and I have found are very useful, that are actionable, that can be done, and can really help improve your outlook and improve your perspective. Enjoy. All right, so uh, I thought what we talk about today, like I texted you on the podcast that has yet to be named, is um, just things you can do to improve the way you're living and improve your life. And I thought we could start the discussion, you know, with the the big ones, right, um, and our experiences with us, obviously, like diet, exercise, those things. And then after that, um, kind of delve into some stuff that you and I have found on a personal level to kind of enhance the life that are actionable, right, because I think like I said, sometimes you can get, you just get lost in inspiration and it's great to be inspired, but eventually you have to have action. And I, th- I find that it's always valuable to have discussions about, I love hearing what other people do, um, you know, just, uh, you know, for their, for their interests and how they, how they improve their life. So sound, sound good. Yeah.
1: Sounds good. I think it's, it's interesting how some things that become like basic habits, for you or for myself and I'll talk to other people people, and that's like a huge struggle for them to get to that point, you know, to get that uh, seven and a half, eight hours of sleep or whatever it is that becomes routine or going to the gym or some form of exercise five times a week and you kind of, it's a great topic because you, I can forget how blessed I am to have some discipline in my life, you know, and to have years of that discipline mm. that brought, have brought me to the place of health mental well-being and well, i mean that, for you a lot of listen, like the I mean, diet I mean, stuff and
0: diet i mean that's obviously like if you want to improve your life just eat well because you really aren't what you eat you are what you digest and that goes to gut health and all that and there's a ton of information out there that people <laughs> can find but i know for you your experience your discipline it was kind of enforced because of your health concerns right like you didn't have a
1: choice yeah, yeah no it was definitely not sure i can uh i can get into that story a little bit i uh Yeah, so I was probably, I think I was 24, and I was a pretty healthy guy up until that point. (coughs) I had, uh, you know, really turned my life around and stopped drinking alcohol and, you know, taking drugs and any of that kind of stuff and smoking cigarettes and all those things I had gotten out of my life, you know, uh, around 20. And then at 24, I, uh, you know, was, had a tree company and got a tick bite, got really sick, got the classic bullseye of Lyme disease and then uh, was like, Oh, didn't he I, I didn't know a lot about alternative medicine, I still had the idea that like, go to a doctor, they'll take care of it, you just go to a, a walk in clinic, whatever, just trust in the medical system, you know, like allopathic medicine just had that, that trust in a uh, yeah, so I got that tick bite and I just went to a walk-in clinic and they gave me Doxy. And I'm like, okay, this is what I've always heard. This is what you do. And I took that Doxy and about two weeks into it, you take it for about two weeks, but about 10 to 12 days in, all of a sudden, I, uh, you know, I just went to use the bathroom and all of a sudden there was blood. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, uh, I called my sister-in-law. Who worked at a gastroenterologist's office and asked her, and you know, I went in and ended up doing a colonoscopy. And they uh, you know, the doctor calls me and tells me, you know, well, you have an autoimmune disease. And I was so uninformed. I had not even heard of, you know, because this is, you know, 10 years ago now, and I had never even heard of that. So when he said autoimmune, I was like, Did you just tell me I have AIDS? <laughs> he's like, he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, autoimmune. That's that's AIDS. And he's like, no, you don't have AIDS. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah. So I I listened to the I listened to what the doc and up until I ate pretty clean ish. You know, I wasn't concerned about organic and, and whatever. But I, you know, I would eat pizza and just you know. But I still was, you know, I was crossfitting for a few years and pretty health conscious, but uh i listened to the doctors for a year and everything they told me to do the medicines everything and i just got worse and worse to the point i was like crap and blood like 30 times a day and like couldn't leave my house and it was pretty terrifying i was like 24 years old owned a business like had turned my life around and i'm like this is depressing like this is how i'm gonna die like i'm gonna die on a toilet like are you serious and uh Yeah, so then after a year of just getting worse and worse and none of the medicine's working, they told me the next step was low-dose chemotherapy, IV, basically, which is like Humira, every eight weeks for the rest of my life. And uh, I was like, I'm not putting that stuff in my veins. Like, what? That's insane. And then they said, if that doesn't work, we're going to cut your large intestines out. And I'm like, what? I'm like, are you – I'm. I came with that thing. I'm leaving with it. You know, like that's a decision my family can make for me, like on my deathbed when I'm unconscious, and I just wake up and they're like, "Sorry, we had to take it." You know, like I'm not signing up for that. And uh, I asked the doctor, "What about food? Like, what about the food that I eat? Like, is there any science into the nutrition and you know really helping us out with food?" And he said to me point blank, "There's, uh, there's no evidence that food has anything to do with this. That it will help at all." I'm like are you serious like the food that i eat that's going through my large intestines has nothing to do with uh my like an illness in my large intestines like this, this there's no correlation there so i bailed on doctors for three years and i just did all my own research and i tried every diet under the sun and every probiotic and supplement and everything and anything and i would get myself into remission and then i would fall out and i'd go back and forth and uh, the last final key was I found a functional medicine doctor, and my diet was on point. There was just a couple things that I needed to tweak, and I actually found a doctor who was able to order tests. And it was really cool because she just said to me, uh, You are going to do the work. I'm just going to order the tests and help you read them because you're, you know. And that was actually a really. I think one of the most powerful things and that's a long story and you know whatever but i think one of the most powerful things about health is realizing that no one else is going to take care of you the way that you're going to take care of you no one else has the interest in your health the way that you do i don't care if your doctor is 2500 an hour right uh it is they're not going to they don't know your body they don't feel the things you feel when you eat the food that you eat or take the supplements and really taking care of being your own, uh, advocate because no one else. So <clears throat> that whole experience really taught me and empowered me to take charge of my own health, you know, and then I've just been on a pursuit ever since. So, uh, long story short, I went, was in remission for six years after that. Uh, and I had, uh, a flare a few months ago and it was based, it had nothing to do with food and I just realized it was just stress mm-hmm. management. So we can get into stress management too, but, uh, yeah, so no one else is going to, your health, you know, that diet is not just going to happen on its own, that that exercise, that uh, that sleep management, you know, uh, <laughs> no one's going to slap a coffee out of your hand at seven o'clock at night, because, you know, it's going to ruin your sleep in three hours or something. So it's really mm-hmm. about like discipline. Plays yeah, you, a know, huge the, you know,
0: people change it. because of inspiration or desperation, right? You know, one or the other Yours, obviously, there was, you know, desperation you had to make a change which is the way to do it i think where a lot of people mess up with um and i know from from your story because you had to make changes and there were some severe health consequences if you didn't but still you had to make your changes slowly and one at a time because if you just sat down and said i'm going to change 20 things and and it worked you wouldn't know which of the 20 because they're not all going to work right not everything's going to work you know so i think having a when you're taking a look at it, whether it be through desperation or just inspiration, right, you're going to change your diet. Okay. Just change one thing and see if that helps, you know, um, a lot of it can be, you know, the big popular thing now, of course, is intermittent fasting, you know, something I've messed with, you know, the time of day you eat, I found for me makes a a big difference. Um, but it was just one small thing. If you, you know, if you try intermittent fasting and then all these 10 things at one time, you won't know. So I would say have a plan, right. And then, you know, make those changes slowly and, And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Right. You got to give it time to work. But if it doesn't work, um, I think a lot of people are like they get inspired, like, oh, I'm going to improve my diet. And then, you know, they're great for a week two, a month, month or two. And then but I think it's because they don't make it a habit. Right. You don't you don't form a habit. This can be said for anything from exercise. You know, you know, the other big one is, you know, you want to feel better exercise. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, don't. I used to love it when I was I used to work out at the local YMCA like they had a pretty good pretty good family raid and my daughter and I were taking uh, martial arts classes there and they had a pretty decent fitness center and it was always awesome I always loved it like after the first of the year you would see like this big influx of people come in and it was like you know it would go from like you know there's normally 10 people there on a Monday night to like 50, literally that big. And you would see them slowly as January moved on. And then February, they would slowly fade off. And then by March, it was back to the same 10 people that were there on Monday night. And it was, and it, it just really shows how so many people like, okay, I'm going to make this big change. And then they make this big, they make, and they, they can't make it permanent, right? They can't make it last um, for many reasons. And you would see so many of them would come in and they would come into the fitness center or the gym, whatever you want to call it. And Um, they wouldn't have a plan they would just be kind of roaming around doing this and that and you know so when it comes to diet or exercise or any change you want to make is sit down have a plan right and don't try and change everything all at once because one you're not it's not sustainable and two you're not going to know if it works right i mean even even i found you know my health story not near as dramatic as yours but basically i got you know, to the point where I was like 41, 40 years old, and I was not grossly overweight, but I wasn't, I wasn't that, you know, I was a little overweight, more, my body fat percentage was up, and i and I realized that, you know, being a tree climber, that it wasn't sustainable, that I needed to, I needed to get in better, I just needed to have better body composition. So I put myself on a pretty rigorous path, and in about a year, year and a half, you know, I didn't really drop, I didn't lose weight, I just changed my body composition. So I might have, I might have only weighed seven or eight pounds less, but I was much more fit, much less body fat, a lot more muscle mass. And I know, looking back on that now, that's, you know, 11, 10, 11 years ago now, Um, that probably extended my climbing career, a good six, seven years, just, you know, being a little bit more fit, a little, you know, and but now I look back, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I, I get motivated. I'm going to get back on the fitness train. And I try and look and do some of the programs I did even just 10, 10 years ago, five years ago. I can't do them anymore. <laughs> you know, it's like I just, I can't sustain that volume that I was lifting with. And then what happens is I'm like, I get tired and sore. And I'm like, well, what? I'm working out to feel better, but I don't feel better. <laughs> I'm just, I'm tired and sore from training, not from work. Uh, uh, you know, so I think you have to kind of understand that you know not everything's going to work change your plans over time especially if you have a history you know um you know like you said you had a relapse a couple months ago it wasn't a diet thing it was a stress thing it would have been easy to say okay i'm just going back to boiled chicken and rice and you know wouldn't have fixed it (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly right you know Uh, i
1: tried it i tried it well that was one of the things i actually went Mm -hmm. so i went through a breakup and it was really painful and uh i it was just the emotional part my diet was still on point i had added things that like i wouldn't have dared before like rice right (laughs) that was a part of my diet again because i was very strict like i was just like autoimmune paleo like just all these you know very strict and uh so i i'd lighten up where i would eat sweet potatoes or something and uh but then uh so when that happened called the doctor and i threw the kitchen sink at it i spent thousands of dollars on supplements i got anything and everything that potentially had a research study of show improvement and help of colitis and uh i got work this the same time right i got worse and worse and i was just constantly trying to control what was happening and not and I was doing some stress management too, like meditation and things, but I actually have now found in the last month that I've gotten into remission again and uh it I've j- it's settled down is now I'm actually take I don't take any supplements. There's nothing I'm not taking anything. I got some electrolytes and some you know, some water from Zach Bush, you know, some ancient water and uh but I'm not taking anything because I realized the more I try to control it, you know, because I've done the biochemical work, I've done that, I fixed it, you know, like I fixed that part of it, and now the emotional aspect. I actually had uh, a therapy session a few. Uh, this was this was huge, right? Like I was still, I was, I was getting a little bit better, and I went uh, and did some some EMDR with my therapist, and I, and I realized that. In my childhood, I really, really, deeply craved connection. I just wanted connection, and I wanted to be a part of a tribe. Uh, and I was homeschooled till fourth grade, and I had older brothers that were four and eight years older than me. So I was like, there's some connection there, but that's like, it's a gap. You know, it's definitely... They weren't like my peers all the time. You know, I was, I was alone quite a bit in the woods when I was a kid just playing army and the neighbors were a little bit older than me and I didn't have a ton of social interaction and I'm a, I'm an extrovert. I you know, like I love and crave connection with people around me and I had this memory where uh, I was like six or seven years old and I used to threaten to kill myself when I was a little kid and part of it was I was just trying to get my way, right? I'd be like, I wanna kill myself if I don't get my way And uh but I actually had a memory where I grabbed a knife and went into my bedroom. I said that and then I went into my bedroom and my uh mom and I just went in there. I, I remember standing there. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't have a plan, you know, I was so young and uh my mom came in the room and I dropped it and she was like, Oh my God, you know, I can still have that memory and that picture of that whole experience. And then, uh, you know, so I actually re- realized that that little kid just wanted connection. He wanted community and he was just really suffering. And, uh, so I went into this, this memory, you know, using EMDR and, uh, it's like an active meditation. I don't know if you know anything about it. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. So I went into the memory and I just went and, talk to him. I talked to my like inner child. And I said, Hey man, you're not in this room anymore. I was, like, I was like, you're not in this room anymore. And you're so loved and you have so many friends and so much connection. Come with me. And I actually brought him out of the room and I showed him the life that I get. To, I'm like, look at the life you get to live today. Look how many friends and how much connection you have and like all the cool stuff that you get to do. Like, look at all of this and like brought that little kid who was suffering out of that room and in the last month since then, my gut has just gotten better, right? It was like I let go of that pain and that suffering that was in there. And uh, that little kid who was just stuck and who just wanted to feel connection. So I think one of the biggest things now, uh, one of the biggest things for health is connection. Like, where do you have connection in your life? Like, where do you have community? You know, like, there's a lot of people, this is one of the things that's gotten me really inspired about hosting retreats have started to do the retreats is, A lot of men that are out there, a lot of people in general, but uh, a lot of men out there who are suffering without connection and all they do is work and all they, you know, and they used to have some social interaction and they would go into the office and they would get some of that connection and community there. But now they're just working remotely. Now they're just home. They don't get to interact with people and they work 60 70 80 hours a week and they don't have time to get outside and go hiking and they used to love to mountain bike and they used to love to rock climb or have a boat or go fishing and they used to have these passions that they don't have anymore and it's yeah you have connection with your family and your wife you know your kids and stuff but there there still needs to be you need like for me I need a tribe and when I realize that there's so many people out there who don't have a tribe like I do and don't get to experience the level of connection and how that's the deepest like human core desire is connection and that's like the most powerful thing that you can have for health Uh, I'm like I want to facilitate this for other people I want to bring men together and show them what it's like to have community and to have just real connection you know Uh,
0: yeah it's a (sighs) lot of lessons in there right like you know the minute you think that the mind body and spirit aren't connected you're wrong right like one has to Function with the other. Sometimes you know the balance might be off or whatever, rhythm might be off. But you know there's there's a lot to that. You know when when the physical aspects of it aren't working, when the body aspects aren't working, check the other two. And then that yeah, that need for connection is important. And I think you know to your point, a lot of people they'll be like, oh yeah, I have a lot of friends, a lot of friends. There's you know there's quality friends, right? There has it has to be quality connection. Um, You're the extrovert. I'm the opposite. I'm the introvert. So I'm very very sensitive to you know, that quality of connection. I don't like hanging out with a lot of people, but I really enjoy hanging out with my close friends, like people that, you know, I can sit down and have a, a more in-depth discussion with, but you won't catch me chatting at a party, you know, um, that's just not, just not the way I, I don't find, value, I don't find, um, it's not that there's not value in it, it just doesn't renew me, right, like, whereas a, an in-depth conversation with just one or two people really will, but going to a party won't, you know, it just just kind of the way the an introvert works but understanding it took me years to understand that about myself you know that and i think that basically luck maybe um divine providence i don't know whatever you want to call it it's given me a, a a robust number of friends that i am personally connected with you know i've known some of these men and women husbands wives sisters brothers for 30 plus years um you know and it's and i had it's easy to forget the value of that in my own life, and to understand that many people don't have that. And it's interesting now because as this group of friends has children, and they're adult children now. Um, my daughter is actually the youngest of the group, and she's 18. So we have anywhere from, you know, 28, 29 down to about 18 in this. You know, this the kids group we call them kids, but they're not kids. But you know they. And seeing how they're growing up and interacting, always having had that support network, is really interesting to me because it's something I didn't really have as a kid. And I fell basically blindly into it as an adult um, through sheer luck. And it really makes me appreciate that. But then understand, like you said, the value of that, that tribe, that ability to, you know, I run into people all the You tell people to get more connected. Oh, yeah, I have plenty of friends, plenty of friends. But it's like, how are you defining friend? And, you know, is this a person, you know, is it an acquaintance? You know, is it a work colleague? And there's many different levels. It's not that, you know, you have to have 30 close personal friends. You can have two, right? But, uh, but really defining that quality of those social interactions. Oh, yeah, I'm social. I go out like every night. And it's like, well, is that really what you need? You know, I could go out to the, I could go out and hang out with people in a social situation seven days a week. And it wouldn't renew me. It would actually wear me down as an, as an introvert um so understanding that and that mind body connection and you know a lot of like i said you know the big things to live better sleep eat exercise they kind of all have to be addressed on those three levels of mind body and and spirit in many in many ways and if
1: that's a a lesson that i i it was it's still something that i struggle with Mm -hmm. that definition of friends uh I very, I'm very quick to call someone my friend, you know, uh, if we've hung out a few times, and, you know, because a lot I've just in the circles that I hang out, there's lots of opportunities for new connections. And uh, I've, I've learned that lesson a few times where I think someone's my friend, because we've spent a bit of time together hanging out or I'll very quickly, I'll open up to someone and kind of share where I'm at, struggling and stuff, then come to find out that, oh, we weren't really friends. You know, this person, you know, and again, just accepting their humanness uh, and their kind of their defects or, you know, shortcomings or whatever. But, uh, you know, uh, I've started to pull back a little bit and invest in, you know, some actually like not everyone is my friend. I'm not, and then I also am not completely, Mm -hmm. committed to people who aren't my friends you know i don't have that loyalty to them but i really like the saying uh or the thought of you are the five people you spend the most time with you're the sum total of the five people right so and that's another great thing for your health right like if you hang out with a bunch of people who uh, are lazy who eat poorly who drink every night of the week or really really you know, tie one on the weekends and all they want to do is drink and they're not out like, you know, then that's probably where you're going to spend a lot of your time. So actually stepping back and saying like, all right, who, who's in my circle and like, how are they living? Do I emulate, do I want to emulate and be these people? Because you are the company you keep. So when you have health conscious friends, right, who uh, are into exercise and want to be active on the weekend or after work, want to go meet and do something like that that's actually going to really empower you to to step into that health journey and take care of yourself a bit more and you guys can bounce stuff off each other or hey i'm feeling off or i tried this and you know like constantly i'm like learning a new thing about health and sleep and this that and having conversations with my friends about it and you know uh mm-hmm. it's like that's a that's a huge part of health as well Oh yeah the,
0: absolutely the i think you, you know if you look at with. it from a fitness standpoint i think that's why like crossfit programs are so successful it's not necessarily exercise is exercise, right? Like muscles move. It doesn't matter if you're in a gym or in the woods lifting a rock or in a gym lifting a barbell. Um, but I think it's that that aspect of community. Why so many people see such a transformation is because they immerse themselves in that community. So now their circle of friends is in that community, and it and it's a great way to affect change, right? And I think you know, and like you said, I've run into that too. It's like you know, you run into these things somebody's a friend or a certain, at a certain level. And that really, for me, came down to setting boundaries, right? That idea of like, okay, like, yeah, you know, I do like and respect you, but how far am I willing to go with this? You know, how, how much will I sacrifice? Um, depending, because, you know, close personal friends, friends I've had for decades, you know, there's not much I wouldn't do for them. Um, and it's drawing personal boundaries and understanding that is a big part of, you know, of defining friendship. Right. And you could, you know, I love words. We go here and define the word friend forever. But I think it's really comes down to a personal boundary and then taking the time um, to almost enumerate who your inner circle is. Right. You know, for a lot of people, it's family and and, you know, childhood friends and things like that. And then it's OK to have, you know, a couple people in that. And then it's OK to have a wider circle of friends, you know, that, you know, yeah, no, they're still friends. There, you appreciate spending time with them, but you're certainly not, you know, if they call you at two in the morning and need you to bail them out of jail, you're going to be like, ah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, that's not happening. And, you know, it's like you're a good guy and all, but man, I ain't doing that. You know, setting the boundaries around that, and, uh, and you know, and then and that level of trust is built up over time, and uh, and it's the only way you can go about it. So. Yeah, we got diet's a big one, exercise, sleep is huge, right? You know, just getting sleep. I think so many people, the first thing I think from a health, physical health standpoint, well, physical, spiritual, and emotional health, sleep is not all of them. But I think the first thing a lot of people sacrifice is sleep, right? I think they'll just, I think it gets either sacrificed and or ignored. And I mean, even from a weight loss standpoint, like I remember reading an essay by one of my favorite fitness authors, Dan John, where he basically experimented. He was getting twelve hours of sleep a night. He was sleeping twelve hours on purpose, and he lost like ten pounds in like three weeks. And it was basically because when you're sleeping, you can't eat. <laughs> it was it was really that simple. And it now I'm not propose he wasn't proposing that as a diet program. Yeah. It was more just a lesson in in the in the value and quality of sleep. But just getting good quality, the right amount of sleep. I know that was something that I never really did very well uh, when I was younger and working so hard. And now, you know, it's, you know, I, I actively have a plan to get seven to nine hours of sleep a night. And I try and keep it. It's about probably the most routine thing, daily thing in my life is I like I try to go to bed at roughly the same time and try and wake up at roughly the same time. And uh, it makes a big difference. And, you know, ironically, it was the whole pandemic thing that allowed me to turn that tide, right, because I'm working from home, I'm not traveling near as much as I was, because traveling is what messed with my sleep, it just was, like, you know, I can't, I can't align plane schedules to my, <laughs> to my sleep wishes, um, so it was bad, I, I wasn't, but the pandemic really allowed me to sit down and say, okay, this is going to be my routine, I'm going to go to bed at, you know, between 9 30 and 10 every night, I'm going to wake up, you know, the next time between five thirty and six in the morning, and, and it really allowed me get in that routine, and then when I saw the benefits of it, when it it was easy to it was easier to form into a habit. So just getting good, high quality sleep is it's often the most ignored, often the first to sacrifice, but I think it's also the easiest one to fix because everybody likes to sleep, you know. So it's like, it's like you know, it's just great, you know, and like a good night's sleep or a nap.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I actually learned recently, um, sure I'll mess it up, but there's, no, you know, me. Andrew Huberman is mm-hmm. like, uh, I believe he's in neuroscience. He works at MIT. He's, he's a, he has a health podcast. It's really good. It's good. But I heard him recently talking about coffee and how, uh, I think it's niacin that your body produces right when you wake up. And I could be totally getting that wrong and mixing up my, uh, my chemicals, but, uh, it, And for the first 90 minutes in the morning, it is uh, basically like it spikes and then like kind of works its way out. So if you were to drink coffee in the first 90 minutes that you've been awake, it actually blocks that, which is why you get that 2 or 3 p.m. crash from coffee. So holding off and not drinking coffee in the first 90 minutes that you're awake actually, uh, and I've used, I've done that. I struggle cause sometimes I wake up and I drink my big cup of water and then, uh, that's how mm-hmm. I, you know, then I'm like, ah, coffee time, you know, but I'll usually give it at least half hour to an hour before I have that first cup of coffee. Once I woke up, 90 minutes is optimal. Um, but that's another thing is waking up in the morning. And the first thing that I'll do is just drink a big old glass of water. Uh, and that gets me, you know, gets me going for the day, my digestive system moving and, uh, gets me hydrated. The other thing that I learned recently is if you have coffee within like six to seven hours of going to sleep, even though you might not feel the coffee or caffeine anymore, it significantly reduces your capacity to fall into rested sleep like REM sleep and actually get that – get into that stage of sleep. So I've really uh, cut back and now in the morning I just – I wait that 45 minutes usually to 90 minutes to have that first cup of coffee and I do a cup and then another half cup and uh, that's pretty much all the caffeine that I'll adjust for the day. Uh, it is also nice when I'm not drinking coffee all day long like I used to. I used to just like live on coffee. It'd be I could drink coffee at 9 o'clock at night and then go to sleep. Uh, but now when I – but it would do nothing. Now if I mm-hmm. – it is the afternoon and I do want – You know, occasionally it's like once a month I do want a little pick me up, and I have a cup of coffee. It it actually it works. (laughs) You know, it it actually kicks in. Uh, But yeah, there was another thing that I I I heard recently, and they were talking about sleep and how there you know there's there's some people out there who say, oh, I get uh, I I'm good on three hours. All I need is three hours, and I'm good to go. You know, and uh, this guy was actually saying that there is a gene mutation uh for people that actually could function on like three hours but the percentage uh is so low that if you think you have it you don't (laughs) then he, he went through all these famous people over the years who uh really were like would always talk about how they only need three hours a night or five out of these high billionaires and presidents, and different stuff. And every single one of them, it was like dementia, dementia, Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's. Uh, and it is just one of the biggest precursors for, uh, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's is not getting enough sleep and getting between you know, if you get, and then the interviewer was asking him and he's like, Well, what if you get like six and a half? He was like, seven hours. He's like, Well, what if it's like the seven hours you it's like a minimum if you can hit that average of seven hours a night and there's also no building it up like you can't like oh, i'm gonna get 10 hours tonight because i'm gonna get three hours the next night it still throws off that there's no putting it in the bank necessarily you know i uh i think back to i don't know if it's just that i'm getting older i'm not you know i'm not in my 20s anymore or teenager or whatever but there would be those nights and all those times where you barely get any sleep and you're good to go Now if I'm out and I go to a concert, and I'm out till one, two o'clock in the morning and I get like five hours of sleep or something, I'm like, whoa, for like a couple days I can feel it. I'm off. And, uh, I think it might just be more that I'm so used to getting that regular sleep that I could tell the difference. Maybe before I was just feeling like shit all the time and that, that was my new, uh, that was my normal, you know? So now to feel as good as I do and as rested as I do throughout the day, uh, when i don't have that feeling. It's yeah, absolutely. A lot more sleep is is a huge thing sure. right? I, I think
0: some of it comes with age. Um but i think mostly it just comes from like wisdom. Like it, you didn't know you were suffering before. You attributed it to other things or or maybe it got masked, but it's like having a headache then dropping a rock on your foot. Now your foot hurts more, but you still have the headache, you know, it just didn't make the headache go away sort of that. I think sleep can get masked by other things, but just having that. And i yeah, i'm i'm sure there's people out there that you know, are perfectly functional on whatever hours of sleep, but you got to figure that out for yourself too. It's just like you were saying, you know, first thing in a podcast, you have to take control of those situations and make your own decisions. The only way you can do that is, you know, try getting nine hours of sleep. I know when I go over, like when I get over nine hours of sleep, it doesn't, I feel sluggish. I have a harder time going that seven to nine, eight seems to be about perfect for me, right? If I get a good, good, good quality, you know, eight hours of sleep. Not to say that I'd some some nights ten, some nights seven and and then understanding that, you know, life's gonna intervene. Sometimes I do have to get up early, get on an airplane. Um, when I travel my sleep I don't sleep as well like in hotel rooms and stuff as I do at home. So but understanding that and then putting things into place, okay, so I'm gonna try and get I'm not gonna get as good quality sleep, so I'm gonna try and get a little more quantity. And then when I do get back home making sure that I really focus on it and get stay on my routine as best as possible and and, and go at it from there. So it's one of the easiest things to fix. But I think it's often overlooked. And yeah, you know, you, you might through um you know, through process of trial and, and tribulation find that yeah, you're perfectly functional on five hours of sleep and that's great. Great, you know, power for you. But make sure that you're not just making that shit up. You know, have some have some personal documentation behind that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, some people might be able to function on five hours of sleep, and they might, but still, long term wise, your chance of getting dementia is not. Well, there's there's a difference between functioning and
0: thriving, right? yeah and the coffee thing's interesting i have to try that because i love coffee like i just you know it's it's i stumble down to the coffee pot in the morning and turn it on and i just love the taste of coffee i you know um i've always been good i'm pretty sensitive to caffeine so i can't drink coffee after like 10 o'clock in the morning because i i can feel it affect my sleep so i'm always i'm a morning coffee person but i know of all the things you know I, i i consider it coffee my biggest vice but i don't like i don't trust people without at least one vice i don't know something shifty about them so i figured it's better than cooking meth in the basement yeah. or something I like guess, but um, i don't know that's so why i tell my wife like hey, i could cook <laughs> in the basement give me a break but uh no i love coffee and for me the coffee part has almost been part of a yeah. ritual you know my wife drinks coffee so oftentimes when i'm working here at home we'll have you know sitting there on the couch getting our day going having a cup of coffee it's part of that too but nah, i should try the 90 minute thing and uh It'd just be interesting, a nice experiment, see if it works for me and and how it goes out.
1: Yeah, it worked It works for me when I try. Uh, and but I still, mm. it just takes discipline, right? Because it's a habit to wake up in the morning, go down, drink that big cup of water, mm. and then fire up the coffee pot. And I'll lot like I'll start my day with, uh, you know, some meditation. So coffee is not the the best thing to be sipping yeah, on right. like right before I try to go sit into. You know, do 15, 20 minutes of meditation, that definitely speeds up the mind and increases the anxiety. And, the, you know, that's all part of it. So I noticed though that when I do get closer to that 90 minutes, uh, I have, uh, I don't crash in the afternoon. Cool. It's, you know, it's different. I was, I was thinking before, kind of a funny story about not sleeping as well in uh, hotel rooms when you travel. And I I personally like my thought on that is that it's almost like evolutionarily, uh, you're in a new place. You know, like if you're sleeping in a new place, like thousands of years ago, as a hunter-gatherer, and you're in an unfamiliar setting, your body is probably not going to get as rested and feel as safe, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, as in, in your home. You know, not that they may necessarily had homes. But that I—I I I don't know if I heard that somewhere or I just made that up, but I remember years ago I said to uh, a group of friends we were talking about that and I was talking about how uh, I actually have a difficult time like when I first start dating someone or if I was you know, had a girl sleep over or something, the first time they sleep over, I do not sleep very well with like a new person in my bed. And uh but and I actually Related to that I was like, well, you know, it might be an evolutionary thing where, like, you don't know if this person's gonna kill you, you know, like they might, they might kill you or something. So your body, we want to stay a little bit awake. And I'm like, right, guys, and all my friends were like, who do you have sleeping in your bed? <laughs> they're gonna kill you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, you guys don't feel that too? And they're like, no. It's a good point.
0: Maybe you need to close the smaller holes in that filter, Tim. Smaller yeah. holes. <laughs> yeah, like, so everyone
1: pretty. Fun. A that was pretty
0: there. funny. <laughs> I think we've covered the big ones, right? We could go on and on, right? But I did. I thought it would be fun to kind of look at some of the the more esoteric things that that each of us have found. Um, I came up with a list of four. Right, one, two, three, four. So I'll start. Uh, my first one would be to one thing you could actionable thing you could do to improve the quality of your life is grow a plant plant something and grow it preferably a food product um, because there's just something intrinsic about being a human to grow your own food even if it's not like you're feeding yourself it's not like you have to grow enough food to feed yourself for the winter or anything evolutionary like that but physically Getting your hands in dirt, and the more natural you can make it, the better. If you have a garden, that's awesome. But if it's winter, just grow something inside, a flower or something. There's just I find there's something very rewarding. Especially food is good, but just raising something and growing something and having your hands in dirt and just being in in that part of nature. I mean, ideally, you know, you'd be out working your own farm and growing all your own food, right? But that's not the that's not reality for hardly anybody but just grow something right like for no other reason than the fact that you just want to grow it whether it be a, a vegetable inside over the winter i'm growing some tomatoes it's a bit of a test on worm castings but that's another story um but just grow something you know just just plant something grow it and raise it and um just do that you know and do that often you know when if you decide to grow a tomato plant in your house over the winter or here on the east coast great then in the spring, start a garden. It doesn't have to be much. It could just be one, one plant, um, but physically plant something and grow it. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's my one.
1: Well, it's like the old thing when people, you know, they had it in like 28 days or it's just kind of become a cliche thing in recovery that before you can date, you know, the first thing you do when you get sober uh, is get a house plant. And if you keep that houseplant alive <laughs> for a year, then you can get a dog. And then if you keep that dog going, then it's like after right. a couple of years now, you're ready for a relationship.
0: Yeah, it could be. I think that there's a lot of, you could use a lot of uh, analogy and metaphor in growing something too, right? If you're trying to make a change in your life and you plant, you know, something small and grow it, like you see it off like memorial groves of trees and things, right? You know, there's a lot to be said for, for that analogy, right? And, you know, and that struggle and, you know, you might start something and sure. it totally dies and you've got to start over again. But that's often that's often life. I think in planting something and growing something, you know, the one there's the, the physical satisfaction of doing it. I mean, it's it's healthy, especially if you can do it outside in the garden or use like real soil, not just, you know, manufactured potting soil. It's beneficial to have those microbes and all those things on your hands. You know, it just is to to have your hands in the dirt is important. Um, I think there's a there's a spiritual and um, you know connection to just being in touch with the ground, with the earth, not standing on macadam or pavement, but you know actually having a physical you know contact with the ground that just planting something or growing a garden can give you, even if it is, I mean take all things um to the best of your ability if you live in an apartment in the city and all you got is a five gallon bucket full of dirt and you're growing a flower and hey you know run with what you got it is what it is right it's better than nothing but yeah and then there's also that that metaphor and analogy to it to you know to raising something to to giving care for something um and if it dies learn it from that lesson and then and then moving on you know it's you get you go the cliches bloomer, you're planted take root all that stuff you could many many things that could go down that road but i would recommend you want to do something new and different grow something it'll improve your life
1: grow something and and part of that grow something and what you were talking about getting your hands in the soil is uh even just taking your shoes off and going to stand in your front yard or even if you do live in the city go to the park just take your shoes off and just stand in the grass and just ground out. It's that same grounding experience of planting something, you know, you're digging in the soil, you're getting those microbes on you, but it's scientifically proven that it changes. Uh, it changes so many things about you. I can't even, mm-hmm. I don't, right. Amanda could go on about the science of, you know, uh, grounding and everything, but uh, like if you're in a bad mood or you're in a place and, your mind is scattered or whatever there's just something mm. so powerful about like just grounding out getting back in and just mm. that feeling connection comes back mm. to It's like where do you find that connection and being connected to the earth and the soil and all that so it's all mm. part of that like growing
0: absolutely absolutely all right your turn you got give me one
1: Uh, well, that, w- that was my thought. My first thought was gra- get outside, take your shoes off, go stand in the grass, go uh... – actually, it's a lie. That was, that- that's the thought that popped in when you were talking about growing plants. My first thought was have just like a-, a simple book, just a simple daily reader, something that's like you start your day off with, so, again, some sort of grounding thought, uh, br- maybe bring some gratitude in, you know, we were are just reading something to start your day with like a positive direction, you know, and now you give some intention to your thoughts for the day. Uh, and it just, it takes three minutes, you know, it can take one minute. Uh, I find having a book like that next to the toilet, you know, it's just easy to grab that reminds me in the morning. Uh, and that just a couple minutes, a quiet time and contemplation. I mean, I get, it could be literally three minutes, it doesn't have to be like a sitting meditation of Om oh, for a half hour or whatever, but I think it's such it can have such a huge impact on your life just to start your day with some kind of grounding reading with purpose and direction and uh, yeah, that that has been it. That's a huge you know it's crazy too because I, I can convince myself or one of the worst things that I could do in the morning and I can see the direct correlation is grabbing my phone first thing in the morning. The longer I can put between me and my phone, from the time I wake up, the quieter my mind will be throughout the day. So, not grabbing my phone and grabbing that book first thing in the morning, and just having that positive direction and that uh, just Oh yeah, I'd highly recommend really that
0: too. I got a number of those types of books around. Everything from you know the the Daily Stoic has a great one that's three hundred sixty five you know single page meditations. I have one um, by a. Based on Buddhism, you know, and it's the same thing. It's a daily reader, and there's a ton of them out there. You can find them in any way, shape, or form, um, and they are cool. cool. Even I even have. It might be on the shelf here behind me. I have a, a. My sister-in-law sent me a book of poetry. It's called First Aid Poetry, and it's like poetry for tough times. And it's great because some of them are longer, but and and it's broken down by: Are you sure. feeling sad? Are you feeling happy? And then you read these, and it's just you know even a book of poetry um that you enjoy uh can you know like i said can kind of put you in that uh contemplative frame of mind and it's a a great way to to start the day and and to start those reflections because a lot of times like you in the morning especially your your mind's kind of a blank slate it needs doesn't hasn't grasped onto anything yet so if you give it something wholesome to grasp onto it's just going to be a better day right instead of letting the, the pressures of the day we in and, and take that time. And, you know, it's, I think I was going to put, you know, as one of mine, like start a ritual, but I find that, um, all these aspects of everything we've talked about involves some type of ritual or routine. Um, and that, so to say it, to, you don't have to recommend being doing it as a ritual or routine. If you start to follow through with these things, they become that in and of themselves. It's almost intrinsic to it, involved in it. But yeah, have that daily reader. And there's a ton of them out there. Um, and they're, yeah, it's, it's a good a good suggestion. And it's, uh, I've always, and I use one, I'm not as um, routine or as regimented about it. I travel with them a lot. That's I like to start my days when I travel a lot that way, just because um, it's sort of a, a little bit of familiarity um a lot of times when i travel too, it's work travel so i'm you know i'm kind of getting ready for the day i'm going to be in front of a bunch of people talking or training or whatever i'm doing and it's kind of a it, that is a bit of a ritual for me when i'm traveling that i don't need quite as much when i'm at home because my days aren't as i'm busy but if you know i don't have somebody's schedule i'm not you know my perform the, how i perform in public uh today isn't a basis of success or, you know or failure here whereas it might be when i'm traveling a lot so I think I have more travel rituals, yep. but that daily reading is is a good one. And that reflection. Um, I've tried journaling in the morning too, and that doesn't doesn't work for me. My brain's not going well enough yet. I need a couple hours. I journal better at the end of the day if I'm going to
1: journal. Yeah, I'll, I'll journal sometimes after I do one of those readings. But I actually, uh, just the physical act of writing is, you know, I hate body. Just, I don't. It's just I don't do it very often. so there's no not skill mm-hmm. that I've. It's like unreadable and you know yeah. difficult. It takes a lot more effort. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm with you there. I,
0: I don't. I mean, I write a lot, but <clears throat> I'm not a paper and pen kind of writer. Unless it's you know little scribbles on a on a sticky note or something. Um, it, usually for me, it's typing. But I don't. I've, and I, I think we talked about this before in one of the podcasts. You know, journaling for me is a it's an up and down thing. Um, more down than up and i've tried it it's just just not in the end i end up not following through as much as i think i should and then that starts to induce guilt upon myself and i'm like so for me you know the journaling habit is probably a a long-term habit i'm never going to form um i accept it i'm fine with it you know it's no big deal it's not for everybody it is what it is um you know notebooks and things like that are different but i'm not a i'm not a journaler i have a whole i have lists and lists on everything from on my phone you know electronic to sticky notes on (coughs) excuse me on uh you know quotes or things or just ideas for essays i have that all over the place but it's not a journal by any means it's more just literally sticky notes whether they be electronic or or the physical one so yeah do some daily reading uh i got another one uh and it kind of it goes on to what you were saying get out into the woods um the more trees the better uh trees have and like again there's the whole science and everything into it but if you want to go down that road but just being around trees there's something about it and i hadn't realized it being like you an arborist and hanging out in trees (laughs) literally hanging out in trees all the time um that when i wasn't doing that on a day-to-day basis i noticed a deficiency in my life somehow And then when I started doing a little more production tree work or actively getting myself out into the woods, um, I I found some of that to come back. For me, I find it easier to be quiet and to meditate and to still my mind when I'm in the woods with a lot of trees. I just do. Um, And it it relates back to that grow something and, and getting out and grounding and earthing and something. But just getting into the woods is just, you want to do something simple, go find some woods, get in them, and sit there yeah I just I don't know it, at worst nothing will get worse it can only get better right like it's 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 a sort of a no harm thing and uh you know but taking a walk in the woods or you know being outside and in a garden is one thing but there's something different about being in a forest you know and once again do the best you can I get it you live in Manhattan all you got Central Park hey it is what it is you know um but if you have access to get into the more the better right and the older the forest the better there's something very different about being in an old growth forest Um, when you sit down and start to just listen and be still then there is not that young forests are bad and old forests are good it's just one they're different but get into the woods right get into the woods hang out with trees or hang in trees i guess you could do that too but i think there's i don't know what it is or why it is but there's just something about different about being in the woods and and spending time and all the seasons right i love i love one of the long walks in really bitter cold weather in the woods are just one of my favorite things to do there's especially if there's snow in the ground because the quality of silence in a forest when there's snow in the ground is just unreal you know
1: yeah i've had uh years ago when i first started to practice meditation one of the first memorable experiences in my meditation was, I was just, you know, in my mind. And I found myself sitting in the woods. on uh, I don't even know where it is. Uh, but on a really quiet, like snowy morning. And it was deaf, like it had just snowed. And the deafening silence, the only thing you could hear was the occasional snowflake hitting the snow around me. And I just found myself in that place in meditation was like, whoa, like this is, you know, I now have frequented back to there. It's this visualization that just came to me now that I use, I use that when uh, I'm in meditation. The other part of that, which I would say is my other thing, sorry, I'm a little congested, but uh, the other thing that I would say, which would be another one that ties into that getting outside is, uh, I talked about a little bit before, would be some quality time that you set aside to not have your phone on you you know so say uh i'm going into the woods and and i'm gonna go just for a little hike don't bring my phone right uh in the morning when i wake up don't grab my phone right away you know if i grab my phone and i go to the bathroom or whatever and then i open up instagram and social media or i'm gonna just whatever it is uh, and it's tricky because sometimes I'm about to go for a hike and uh, I'm going like, to uh, leave my phone. But then I'm like, oh, what if I'm <laughs> going right. to take a picture? Oh, I'll bring my phone and then I'll be out there and it is this constant draw on my attention. It's, I know it's there. Uh, and when I don't bring it, it's so crazy because you get so – it becomes a party. Like, if I don't take my phone, like I'll feel it vibrate in my pocket even when I don't oh. have it. And I'll like think about it, you know, so actually setting some time aside in your day, even if it's 15 or 20 minutes or you just get up to do something around the house, leave your phone where you are. Don't bring it with you, you know, uh, and the more and more I find that I could do that, the less anxiety I have, you know, the less disconnected I feel like I want connection. And that's why I'll reach out to grab to that phone for connection. But it doesn't actually fulfill that for me. It actually creates a longing for more connection. Uh, So yeah, I think when going out into the woods, especially if you're going to take a daily little uh, hike or a couple moments in the woods, just leave your phone in the car. You know, if uh, something cool happens, you know, you just take that mental image of it and hold on to it there. But I think that's a really powerful thing. It's just something Mm -hmm. simple. Just, you know.
0: Yeah, I think, like you said, there's the physical distraction of it. But then I also think there's kind of that, like that, that literally that unplugging, that like, you know, turning something off and focusing on something, you know, different is good. And it might be a little generational, um, you know, because for the bulk of my life, I never had a cell phone. And, but even to this day, I still have to remind myself that, you know what, like if I leave the house and forever, God forbid, forget to take my cell phone, not to turn around and go back. Because it's, you know, like there was a lot of my life when I wasn't instantly accessible and everybody was just fine, you know. And uh, it's—I mean, there's a lot of good benefits yeah. to it, but I think those benefits are exemplified when you can step away from it for a little bit too, right? And uh, and not be, not open yourself to that distraction, and and force yourself to focus on other things. And like I said, it's a great way to um, to test your discipline, right? Um, to do something that is so doesn't—it seems so harmless—taking your fo- your phone on a walk in the woods. But, if you can make yourself have the discipline, the mental discipline to leave it behind and actively not focus on it um you know there's there's lessons to be learned there if you can if you're having problems with discipline I'll, or having problems with anything, you know start small that's one great way to start small on self discipline like I'm leaving my phone behind, I'm not touching it for an hour or whatever that might be, and I'm gonna go do this you know, and then I'm gonna come back you know you know and then maybe the next time it's a little longer right or a little different but to make those small changes on something simple can be a great way to, to like I said, practice that discipline and in, in a kind of a harmless way and a helpful way at the same at the same time too. Right? I think a lot of people are like okay, I'm going to get more disciplined, and then they have this once again we talked about earlier like no, I'm going to make these major life changes like no, it's not you know you're not going to jump in the phone booth and come out with a superhero costume on and your whole world's going to be different doesn't doesn't work like that you know discipline doesn't work like that and the other thing too is um i you know the biggest disciplines in life the disciplines that help me the most are the smallest ones right you know it's the the small habits that i've formed over time that i'm that i'm strict about the small routines the small rituals um where discipline i think is is the most helpful it's not the huge things right you know it's that you know the consistent bedtimes and, and eating bed, it's the small things so even, leaving leaving a phone behind is a great way to practice it and it blends in nicely with the other another one i've got here which is spend what i like to call conscious silent time right take time and it doesn't have to be every day every whatever whatever the interval is for you but consciously don't talk to other like just be quiet right and this was brought to my attention by a, a mutual friend of ours old christian michael schultz right remember we'd get together to do some of the trainings and we'd be in a, so the so that it'd be like a five-day training just to give some context and then we'd all have breakfast together so it was an on-site and then he instituted this thing called we'd call it the silent breakfast where you come in and you could nod to somebody maybe get mutter a good quick you know good morning or something you weren't trying to be rude but nobody would talk and it was a conscious effort and it was a really cool way to start the day to to kind of change your perspective on things and so if you couldn't sit there at breakfast and chat with somebody you had to well maybe you then you had time to pick up that daily reading or maybe you had time to do that five minute meditation but to take time to consciously be silent um because if you're speaking you can't hear right you know so making that and it could be and i'm talking about a little bit more than just meditation i'm talking about you know in a you know, in a, in a meeting or in a, in a conference call or something like that, where you normally would say something, if it's really not that important, don't say it, just listen a little bit better. Right. And, or to just, you know, literally take time to have a silent breakfast, you know, just don't say anything. There's a reason that, you know, that, uh, vow of silence is a tradition and a lot of religious connotations, right. Um, you know, for monks and, and spiritual awakening. And then there's a reason for that. Right. Um, if, you, if you're not thinking about speaking, you can listen better. So I don't know what form it would take. For me, it, it's literally not responding to something when I normally would, right? Not that, you know, I'm in a meeting or something, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, but it's like, you know, what I say isn't really that important. I'm not going to say anything. Um, I'm going to listen a little bit better and to to kind of tweak my perspective that way and to to literally be to be silent and in longer um, form training courses where we do have the opportunity to, you know, wake up and have breakfast together. Oftentimes I'll suggest that we do like a silent breakfast or a silent lunch or a silent dinner. Because um, there's definite power in sitting with people and not saying anything right on purpose. You know, it's, you get away from that. For me as an introvert, it's awesome. Cause I don't want to say anything anyway, um, but to get away from the chit chat stuff. But I think it's, it's a great perspective for introverts and extroverts. So I would say you want to make a quick change in your life? Schedule in some consciously accepted silent time when you're with other people.
1: As we uh we talk about uh scheduled... <laughs> I as like, good irony of just even talking yeah, about that. Exactly. As we record ourselves talking.
0: <laughs> there is a <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that might be a thing that we're actually on the upcoming retreat going to do is silent breakfast. Just have the people come mm-hmm. in and it's like breakfast time. And we just, you know, that first half hour of the day, once breakfast is ready, we mm-hmm. uh, start the day with that. Okay. I've heard of mm-hmm. other retreats and people having that experience. Mm-hmm. It's not an experience that I've had, but I think it would be cool to facilitate that. With it, a is, group of guys. it is
0: interesting. because, Like I said, it has yeah, its effect. Anyway. It's a very similar effect to leaving your phone behind, right? It relieves you of that burden of distraction. Um, You know, like, sit down, hey Tim, how, you know, you know, that that small chat, that small talk you might have over breakfast, and and then, like I said, it also frees up that time to, you know, either to do other things, like that daily reading or something where you wouldn't have gotten to because we had a 10-minute conversation about the quality of the coffee. You know, and there's nothing wrong with the conversation about the quality of the coffee, but it's time that we could have spent doing other things had we chosen to or given ourselves the opportunity. So schedule that silent time. And there is a certain irony um, about, you know, talking about silent time, but that's OK, because irony is really just the opposite of wrinkly in my world. So it's all yeah. good. But uh, you got another one? I do. If you don't. I got one more.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just on board with what you're talking about. The, the silence. Um, yeah, I mean, that's,
0: mm-hmm. I got so that's one more the then. My head. Uh, if you want to look into yeah, to do something it. positive in your life and chant do something artistic, all right? I don't care what it is, but do something creative, do something artistic. It could be painting. It could be drawing. It could be for ta- It doesn't, or it could just be knitting. I don't care, but do something where you actually create something and you engage your creative mind. Um, I think that so many people lose that as they go through their lives that, you know, the, was it Picasso? I think one of the famous artists, you know, basically he spent his lifetime learning how to paint like a child again with that carefree abandon, you know, just creating something for the sake of creating it. Even if it's like, you know, we had Dwayne on, right? Dwayne stacks rocks, right? Just, and it's a creative uh, artistic activity for him, and he sends. He's got these great pictures of stacked rocks, and for him, it's, it's been part meditation, it's been part, you know, just discipline. But it's just, I think it's so important to engage the creative part of your mind, even if you're not an artistic person. It doesn't. I'm not suggesting that you make paintings that you're going to sell on the street corner, um, or that you write the next great novel i'm suggesting that you just engage the creative part of your mind and make something creativity because really in my for me creativity is taking a whole bunch of different things that already exist and combining them in a new way and i think there's there's power in that um and i think that there's i think that there's even some solace in that a, a way to express yourself uh, to yourself if if nobody else you know and and art and often you see in you know, public education, everybody wants to get, you know, art programs, music programs often are the first ones to get dismissed when money gets short. And it's a shame because, you know, the math and sciences, those things are important, but that's what makes us all the same. Arts are what makes us all different. And you have to have both of them. And so I think expressing your creativity in whatever form it might be allows you to explore how you are different, or how you could be different, or what it's like to be different. And I think that's important.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing. That's out of all these things, that's something that I don't really find in my life. Like, what do I do that's creative? I uh, I think I've stepped away from the creative process or the cre- like the traditional idea of art, you know. Because I actually found recently, I had a kind of aha moment where I realized that. Uh, you know, in middle school and high school, I idolized my brother, John, and he was an artist. He was took all the art classes, and he would sit down, and he could create this beautiful thing, <clears throat> and I think great, just create this really beautiful art, and I idolized him, and then I took all the art classes in middle school and high school, and I'm not an artist. I don't like my Sure, I painted paintings, and I created mm-hmm. My mom would tell you that they were beautiful, but Realistically, they were, I was, you know, <laughs> right. making bongs and like, you know, like trippy paintings and stuff, but they weren't like skillful. It wasn't like, this is, you know, a uh, really nice art. And then I stepped away from it. And uh, the next thing that I attached to was uh, just tree work. You know, I looked up to my brother, Matt, and then realized, and then kind of idolized him and then started to pursue his path. And, you know, it's been real recent where I'm like, what's my path? You know, I jumped into the art when I was young, like real young and tried to create. And then recently I, well, the last 10 years, I started really following my brother, Matt, and doing uh, tree work and stuff. And I do have love for tree work and I am good at it. And it's a way to make a living and all those things. But it's definitely more of a shadow career for me than anything. But point of all that is since I stepped away, And realize art wasn't my thing. I don't see anywhere in my life that I'm actually creating something. So you got the my Mm -hmm. wheels turning now a little bit of like all right, well what could I create? You know, where's somewhere in my life that I could be creating something? You know, like actually in just time Mm -hmm. to myself, you know? Because my mind wants to tell me, Oh well, you know, the the retreat that I'm doing, I'm curating and cultivating and creating this thing, you know, that's but more you know whether it be poetry or writing or painting or drawing or anything like that i wonder where it is that i could create i know
0: for life. a long time for me being like arborist i i consider tree pruning to be an artistic endeavor right because you're looking at one thing and you have to turn it into another thing right whether it be shape form or function in the style of pruning um you know and i did that on a daily basis and it occurred to me i'd run into the biggest, roughest, toughest, gruffest tree guys, like, you know, just like eat bark and spit out sawdust. And I'm not an artist, but they were wonderful pruners, right? Like they could really just take a tree or a shrub and, and really enhance its health and enhance its form and make it look really aesthetically pleasing. If they would ever give themselves a break and sit down with a box of crayons and a piece of paper, they could probably draw a pretty good picture, right? But their ego and mentality wouldn't allow them to do that. So even tree, you know, tree pruning can be a part of it. I mean, bonsai itself is a whole art, right? Which is plant pruning. But yeah, this thing, finding some way to creatively express it. And people often ask, you know, when people try and pin me down, like, Tony, if you, what would you do? You know what? I always tell people, haiku, 5-7-5. Five, five. Start writing haiku, right? It's, you know, five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. And it doesn't have to be good, right? Like, just start there. You know, if you can't put out that many, you know... In a, a dozen words at the most, right? Uh, you know the syllables, um, and it doesn't have to be good, right? It just you know express yourself somehow creatively, and uh, and it could be uh, you know at, 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 you know people that like fashion almost to an extent, you know to express yourself. So I just find that way to explore those avenues. I think is important, and uh, it all these things that I came up with, and all these things that we've talked about today really have a common tie in being internal taking the time to you know to practice discipline to set a routine to get a schedule to you know there's really that common tie to all of them um and that's intrinsic into all of them but just different different things you can do that are simple and you know the trap i would fall into when i was younger is like i'd be like you know if i wasn't doing something artistic every day i'm like oh i must be failing at this you know as a creative as somebody that i do consider myself an artist right i write for a living i've written fiction novels i'm learning to play guitar and exploring music and I, I do consider myself an artist but you know not every day is the most creative day ever and there's times where i won't write for months on end anything other than what i abs- emails and what i absolutely have to write and then but it comes back around the muse will find its way To express itself, Um, and I've learned to trust that Mm. that process. Sometimes I have to buckle down and just do the work, you know. It's sometimes that's just the way it is. But I also know that if I try and force it on a creativity standpoint, um, it's 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 apt to fail. Um, So you know, giving myself that break, that that self-love. Say, you know, yeah, I would. I've I've written two fiction novels, and I can't wait to write the third. But the time's just not right yet. Um, It's getting close. We'll see. But, uh, you know, I'll know it when it when it comes. So understanding that in any of these suggestions that we give, if you do it for two weeks and it improves your life and then you don't ever do it again, win. I, I don't know, you know, or if you do it, you know, a couple weeks and then yeah. you drop off for a couple months and then you go back to it. You know, if you, you say, Tony, that's a great idea. I'm going to grow a tomato plant and then you grow one and it dies in three weeks and then you try it again in six months. That's OK. Don't hold yourself so accountable to this. You know, these are just small things that you can do. Right. Um, that are actionable, right? That can can help, and and maybe in the in the process of following one of these suggestions, somebody will find something entirely different, which will work just as well for them, which is fine. Which is how I did it, right? You know, because if you got on and if we gave you a list of everything you're supposed to do first thing in the morning for the best day ever, your day'd be over by the time you completed them all. So pick one and try it, you know. So pick one and try it. Right? All right. I went on for an hour.
1: The only thing I would, I would say is the one last suggestion that I'd pop into my head is that is really easy to do. Well, maybe not easy for everyone, but is call one person mm-hmm. a day and ask them how they're doing. It gets you out of yourself uh, and is just helps that connection. You know, it's like it could be a five minute, three minute phone call. Hey, thinking about you, not a text message, but actually pick up the phone, call a friend, uh, call somebody that you're thinking about and just, you know, connect a little bit, you know, besides Mm -hmm. like get out grounding in the woods and just some other human connection. But just once a day, pick up the phone, call Mm -hmm. a friend, ask them how they're doing.
0: That's a good one. I was just listening to some podcasts where, you know, basically they can correlate somebody's happiness um to how much they're helping other people right and that a lot of times for you know happiness yeah. many when you really get down to it you're you're happiest when you're helping other people um so you know maybe that call initiates that right oh for sure but you're right you just get that connection make it yep. make it a plan and, and go for it and it, you're right it's a pretty actionable thing it wouldn't be easy for me to do i'm an introvert i don't like talking to anybody on the telephone you know yeah, text him <laughs> so maybe text them every once.
1: There's opportunities
0: right, is- when I do feel it's necessary, or so, I, you know what? From the opposite side of that, having had people reach out to me just out of the blue, and check in, it's it's nice. It's a very it's a very nice and reassuring, connective thing to have to be a part of. Be like man, that's that's really cool. You know, it's it's, it's mm-hmm. you know it can really change a day or change a perspective, which is really in the end kind of what it's all about. Thanks so much for joining Tim and I today, and we will see you next time.